Hi, everyone, and welcome to Academic Dean, where we connect with passionate college leaders who share their stories and viewpoints of higher education, especially lessons learned along the way. Now, here's your host, Dr. Dave Gurchak. Hi, everyone. Today, I'd like to welcome Dr. Thomas Hubner to our show. Dr. Hubner is the president of Meridian Community College in Meridian, Mississippi. Hi, Tom. I'm excited to have you on our podcast today. Thank you. It's good to be with you. So tell me about Meridian Community College and why students select your institution. Well, uh, Meridian Community College is, is uh, one of 15 community colleges here in the state of Mississippi. We're the, actually only the only one that was founded by a municipality versus um, versus the what we call like the state system. So we're supported uh, in addition to being supported by the state. We also receive uh, financial support from the city of Meridian, which is unusual here in the state. So uh, we, like many community colleges, started as grades 13 and 14. And then uh, in the late 60s became what what was then called Meridian Junior College. And then I think at some point in the 80s, we became Meridian Community College when junior colleges started shifting over their names. And, uh, and I'm fortunate to be, believe this or not, in the history of the school, the third president. Yeah. Only yeah. the third. Yeah, uh, that's a, a big shoes to fill. The first one, Dr. Bill Skaggs was legendary, was president, I think, 38 years, and then Scott Elliott for 21, and I'm on year four. So, yeah, I, I saw that on your bio that you started in July 2018. Listen, as right. a third, I, I had to double check that. I was trying to figure out what the deal <laughs> was with that. So, yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? But uh, but it says a lot about about the institution, about stability and also about the support received from our community. Uh, so um, and <clears throat> I, I know uh, having worked other places, you know, been other places, grew up in another state. Uh, been affiliated with Mississippi for a long time, but uh, people have different perceptions about community colleges. And so I'm, I'm always um, proud to show them our campus and our facilities and our operation, talk about it and, and say, you know, we're, we're the college of first choice for a lot of students. And so that makes us proud. And we're one of the first colleges in the country to offer a tuition guarantee program which is now, of course, catching on state uh, nationwide with the various states offering free tuition for community college. But ours uh, was began, we began that program back in the 90s um, and have invested millions of dollars. And it's for the first six or seven years of the program, uh, the support for tuition guarantee was generated by our community and not by tax dollars. So uh, we have a very, wonderful and successful foundation and we have a, a commitment to providing scholarship dollars for students in our community to go to school. So yeah, so can you do, can you explain that a little bit more? So if we were on the elevator and you told me tuition right. guarantee, I would try to figure out what what exactly oh, does that, that mean? Yeah. So what that means is and it's it's really a what we call like a last dollar. So students have to apply for federal aid, they have to apply for, you know, certain scholarships. But if you went to Lauderdale County to school here in Lauderdale County or the city of Meridian, and you are from Lauderdale County or the city of Meridian, um, you can come here and not have to pay tuition. So it's, it's a guaranteed tuition. Now we, now if in common parlance, people will often say um, it's free tuition free. And I always remind people, it's not free. Someone's paying it. <laughs> right. 
that would be a, a you know generous donors in our community who believe strongly in the value of community college education but uh, for the student it would it's tuition free so it's a it's a it's a program that that that's been a multi, you know multi-decade investment in our community by by people here and so it's it's something that um, that's very very unique uh, we were the first school in Mississippi to have such a program and we believe one of the first in the country to do so. Oh, good for you. Good for you yeah. guys. That's really exciting. Yeah. Um, what's new at your college? Well, so, I mean, we're like everyone and we're trying to figure out what, uh, you know, we were trying to figure out what the pandemic world was like. And then uh, I'm not sure we figured that out any better than anyone else, but certainly we've, uh, We've, we've kind of been in this emerging from the pandemic mode for a while. Uh, uh, and, uh, and I get, you know, things kind of feel like they're, I think I remember how they felt before. And I think we're feeling kind of that way again, uh, at least my schedule's picking up substantially. Uh, but in terms of what's new, um, we're, 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 um, we've got a, an initiative that's focused on student success and retention. Um, that initiative is uh, not only a facility, but a, a new approach to student success and retention, and and uh, it's it's one that we believe is going to yield great benefits. Our college has had a lot of success on the retention front through the year, but uh, we've we've been in the process. All right, so the kind of the center of campus is is the library, and so what we've decided to do was. Uh, partner the library space with our student success space. And so uh, it'll be a big old facility uh, that's being renovated. We're not building anything new uh, that's being renovated that has, uh, in addition to what we would, you know, traditionally think of in terms of our library services, we'll also have uh, an advising center will be part of that uh, facility. It will also have um, um, we've had advisors, but they've been in another building, but this advising center and it will be partnered with like our tutoring programs uh, and our, in you know, writing labs, math labs, uh, the course tutoring, uh, meeting space, workspace for, for students and technology access. And uh, in addition to library resources, kind of all together in one area. And so uh, what's, what's exciting about that is um, it's, it's uh, philosophically represents for the institution a commitment to providing the resources the student needs in order to be successful, whether they be instructional resources, academic resources, personal resources, uh, good advice about life sometimes, or certainly good advice about academic matters and instruction and career and all that will be uh, uh, in one facility where they can all play tag with each other and be under one, one umbrella. And, and, uh, and so that also means that we're not just going to have advising. So I know the phrase intrusive advising is a few years old now, and we've been migrating toward that um, where, where all of our advisors have, um, um, have I, I call it case management approach, where they have advisees and they have certain criteria and objectives. In another way, it's like, it, and sometimes people don't like to hear business analogies thrown around with higher education, but sometimes they're good. And in this case, you know, we, we, we have recruiters who are employed to go out and find students to come to our institution, like probably everyone does. And 
and I, I like to think of our advisors as the chief student advocate. So they're like the recruiters to keep them here. So uh, the old adage that your best customer is your customer. So it's better if you can keep a student than it is to lose a student, because if you lose a student, you've got to recruit that student number and a new student. So let's try to keep as many students and help it, help them achieve their goals, which would include obviously completion of degrees and certificates and um, whether they want to transfer or go straight to the workforce or whatever, we, we want to provide those resources right, right here. And so it's a, it's a, uh, it's kind of been in the water here at the school for a lot of years, but it's, but it's from a systemic perspective, a new approach for us. Okay. Well, can you talk about yourself and the path that led you to become the president at MCC? Yeah, <laughs> I, in some ways it's unusual and in some ways it's not at all. Um, I tell, I tell people, uh, I was talking with some friends who are, uh, professors at, at, uh, uh, nearby uh, Division I research institution. And, uh, and they teach in the higher education department at that particular institution. And uh, I said, you know, we were just chatting. And I said, you know, I can never teach in your department. They said, really, why? And I said, I've never had an education course. So <laughs> like, what? So a lot of a lot of folks work their way up through administration. I worked my way up. I was a, a, a professor in the area of, of communication studies um, and, and um, you know, taught, I was like, I don't know, 15 or 20 years, I think in that. And then uh, at some point I had a president who at a private university where I was teaching thought I might would be a good administrator and said, I think you'd be a good administrator. And I just was at that point in my life where I was like, really, you think? And he said, I really think you'd be good. And I said, okay. so. I, I tried it for a few years and in fact, three years. And that was, um, I was the director of admissions and recruiting. And uh, I have a background also in quantitative research and quantitative methods. And so I, I'm, I'm kind of um, a weird, maybe in higher ed is not so weird, but in life, it's weird to have people who are kind of quants, you know, quantitative people who also are, you know, like to talk, <laughs> whatever. So, so I, uh, so I started thinking to myself, I was approaching my director of admissions and recruiting job. I didn't know anything about it, but here I'm in charge for this private, private university. And I started thinking like, all right, how can what I know in the classroom on this theoretical level apply in this context. And so I just started doing a lot of reading and research and calling people randomly who did seemed to have success and kind of built a, a concept for it and, and for how I wanted to do recruiting and then kind of work towards changes within that institution. And we had, a, we had some very substantial success in that regard. I, it probably, none of it had anything to do with me, but uh, I think sometimes recruiting is a matter of doing the right thing at the right time. Uh, and sometimes you can do the right thing and it's at the wrong time and you don't benefit. Uh, and sometimes you can do the wrong thing, but because it's the right time, you're still going to grow. But if you can couple right thing and right time, it works. And so I think I was fortunate at that point in my career. So we saw some success. And then and then after a while, a uh, few years of that, I, I thought, I, and I don't even know why, but for some reason, I just missed the classroom. The hardest part for me when I moved out of the classroom was the uh, what I felt what drew me to higher ed in the first place was 
was the opportunity to the collaboration with students. And there's something about seeing a student come in, you know, with dreams and goals and, and, um, you know, visions of opportunity in their head and then watch them walk out the door <laughs> uh, with focus and an understanding of who they are in a different way, in a positive way, typically, and uh, to be able to then just see how that dream takes them. That's what drew me to higher ed. I had a mentor uh, who was um, like, um, you know, I always said like my second father until, you know, I mean, in, until he passed, I was, we, running most major life decisions by a, the guy who was my undergraduate advisor, professor. And so uh, that was that was influential on me. So with that said, I asked to go back to the classroom as a and everyone was like, what? And I'm like, no, this is really where, where I want to be because I was missing those interactions. <clears throat> and so uh, long story, I'll try to make I can make every short story long, but let me try to make this short. So I, I end up going to another university a, a few years, a year or two later uh, as a professor. And I did that. And then the president of that institution pulled me out of the graduation line at the end of my first year and said, we're really looking for someone who can help us with this enrollment initiative. Do you know anyone? And I said, I'll see who I know, but he winked, you know, I knew what he meant. So I'm in his office and we're talking and about three or four weeks later, I become the Dean of Admissions at that particular university, private university. And so I did that. Uh, and, but I knew when I went back into administration the second time, I, I kind of had, I knew what I was expect. I mean, I knew what to expect. So I did that and, um, and then through a series of events, uh, found myself um uh, a friend be had become president of a community college and we had moved far away from where you know uh we the place where we considered home which was south which was mississippi and and so the the long story short is that i uh, took a job at this community college in alabama and and i have to if you got a minute i got to tell this story because it's it's influential so i'd been 20 years at that point in private higher education and now I'm now I'm at this community college in Alabama and I keep thinking to myself, you know, uh, <laughs> and I hate to say it, but I was a snob about it. I was like, well, they're so grateful to have me, you know, with my Ph.D. and my experience and and everything. And so I was I was like, you know, and then and then uh, but I was but I was coming home at night feeling strangely satisfied about the work I was doing. Uh, and I was in administration at this point and, uh, and I was, I was loving it. And, and I'm not sure I could tell you why at the time, I just really was like, this is really great. And I would get calls from my friends and they'd be like, when are you coming back? You know, when are you going to, you know, stop doing what you're doing? And I, I started telling them things like, uh, you know, uh, I, I really like this. And they were like, what's wrong with you? And I, and, and I started thinking to myself, I think the reason why is because my because of that impact that I was so uh, was so important to me as a student, um, you know. And I and I finally told would tell my friends I say you know you believe that education can be life altering for a student, why don't you come join me on the front lines? <laughs> We're on the front lines where hey you walk in the door we have to help you figure out how this can work for you. So one night, um, my um, 
I was at the the Little League baseball park and well, all right. So that day I have to go back that day we had what was our it was my first graduation at this institution and we had an, like a, an academic honors uh, awards event that morning at I think at 11. And there was a there was a woman who uh, who won a number of awards and and you could tell when you looked at her, she was, um, um, she was, you could, she was older than the traditional student. And, um, you could just tell that when you looked at it, she probably had an interesting story is, is a good way to say it. Uh, she had a sleeve of tattoos that went up her shoulder. It was very beautiful and colorful and, and, uh, and that she was winning a lot of academic awards. And I, I just was like, you know, so I just made a mental note when I, when I saw her and then I'm, at the ballpark that night and I'm leaving the baseball field and I'm walking out to my truck and I, I, I happened to pass this woman with some other people who were sitting near the entrance of the ballpark. So I, I started to my truck and you don't know me that well, but I'm the guy who will always stop and talk to you. <laughs> That's just what I do. If I think I might know, but someone or make a connection, I'm going to have a conversation. It's like the world is my Walmart and I'm the greeter. And, uh, um, and so, so I was walking to my truck. I thought, no, I'm going to say something. All right. So when, during graduation ceremonies, my job at that time was to stand at the top of the stairs. And with someone were walking up, I would grab their hand and I would shake it and I would say something, you know, congratulations or something of that nature. But in this particular case, um, but my, really what I was doing was trying to keep them from tripping and falling, uh, walking up. But, you know, you tried to turn it into something more than don't trip, you know. So I was so I so I was at the ballpark and I see this woman. I turn around and I walk back, took my ball cap off and said, hey, you graduated from the college today. And she immediately started crying. I mean, like she literally instantaneously burst into tears. And I was like, uh, what did I do? And then she said that's him, that's him to her friend who also immediately burst into tears. Now I have to tell you, um, that's not the kind of thing that you'd really like to experience on, on a regular basis. But so I'm standing there awkwardly wishing I had just walked onto the truck and to my vehicle. And uh, the friend said, you don't have any idea why we're crying, do you? And I said, I don't, uh, I don't, I have no idea. And she said, do you remember what you said today to her? And I said, I, you know, I kind of stammered a little bit because I don't, I don't remember what I said. So when you grabbed my hand, you said, we always knew you could do this. And then she began to tell me the story about her tough life and the decisions that, that she made or experiences she had that were difficult where she didn't have a support system where she didn't have family, <clears throat> she didn't have the kinds of structures around her that could help her be successful. But from the day she walked into the community college until literally the minute she received her diploma, she was told that she could do it and that we believed in her and that we were gonna help her do whatever she needed to do. And, uh, and so that got me a little emotional at the time and then she started telling a story about her daughter who was now 10 years old at, you know, 10 years old at the time. And she, she, she talked about how her, her, she was looking at her daughter one day and she said, 
you know, and she had had a background that involved some substance abuse and uh, lots of tough situations. And she said, I was looking at my daughter one day and she said, if I don't do something different, she's going to turn out just like me. And so that's when she decided to go to the community college, just a, just a leap, just a risk. All right. So here's the, here's the rest of the real quick part. Of the story. I've made this as long as I, I've made this longer than I normally make it, by the way. So I, I get in my truck and I'm just kind of thinking through all that. And I go home and I wake up the next morning and it hits me. Uh, my mother was a high school dropout. Um, she and my father, when I was very young, she was still she was still a teenager when I was born and she and my father packed everything they could into a truck, into a, a, to a car, flipped a coin and ended up in Kansas city, Missouri. She was pregnant with what, who was, you know, my younger brother with me on her lap. And my mom got her high school diploma when she was 32. And I think I was about 13 at the time when she got it. And then she started her big dream, which was to go to a community college and become a nurse. And it took her a while, about 10 years, but my mother became a nurse because of the community college. My dad went to night school, starting at a community college, and then eventually, you know, worked, went to night school. Back in the day, they were night called night school, you know, uh, worked, went to the community college, went to night school at a university, became an accountant, retired 36 years later from Transworld Airlines. And, uh, and so when I woke up the next morning, it hit me. I was like, I had this epiphany and it's, I just met my mother last night. And, and so it resonated with me because I thought this is why I love what I do here. And this is why I'm feeling something different about working at the community college, because I thought, you know, this is the kind of place I need to be. And then all of a sudden things started making sense to me in ways they hadn't before. And so with that said, I, I was like, now I'm all in. I, I'd always been unsettled at some level about anything I'd done in higher ed. And then I find the community college. I connect these dots in my life. And then I, then I say to myself, okay, I'm all in now. So this is where I'm supposed to be doing this kind of work. And through a whole series of events, I ended up uh, being placed as the interim president at a community college in Alabama. Uh, the, the Alabama system is such that the, the, the chancellor can place you in various, so I still got my paycheck from the first college I got, but I was working as the interim president at another. And so then I, I used that experience and actually applied to be a president of, of, of a college here in Mississippi, in which I became the president of that institution and was there for uh, a, about three years and then um, East Mississippi Community College. And then I moved, uh, moved down the road to Meridian about 40, 45 minutes to Meridian Community College, um, which was a good, which was really about uh, being at a place where uh, that was more suitable for my family, where we could all be in one place at one time. So, and I've been here since. So here I am. Yeah. What a great, what a great story. Yeah. Uh, what advice would you give new community college presidents? Oh, wow. So, you know, probably the same old advice that, that lots of people say, I mean, be a good listener. Um, that doesn't mean like some people say, wait a year before you make changes. I, I don't put artificial, um, I, I don't put artificial parameters on, on change in that regard. Um, but I would say, you know, be, be a good listener, think broadly about culture. Um, uh, I I'm aware of like 
you know, in scenarios where presidents are struggling in some way, shape or form and and you you hear what the the the, the people at those institutions are saying and they'll list these decisions that they don't like. <laughs> and I'll think to myself, those are pretty good decisions. So why are why are people citing those as the reason? And usually it's because they're, they're they weren't part of a bigger conversation or they it's not the outcome necessarily, it's the process. And so um, make sure to engage. And I, and I think if you were to talk to anyone uh, who were, who's ever worked for me, um, I, I, you know, the process is, is, is as uh, actually more important than the outcome or than the, the, the decision. And so uh, have a good process where you're spending time, making sure you talk to people who will be impacted by, by uh, by whatever decision. I had an email today from a faculty member who is a chairing one of our important committees. Well, another faculty member had some ideas about how that certain function of the college might should be done and um, talked to two or th me and a couple of my vice presidents about it and uh, just informally, didn't have any informal conversations, a uh, formal conversation informally uh, and I think all of us were like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, that could work, you know, fascinating. Yeah, I mean, it's good stuff. I mean, it's not bad. And uh, then that faculty member went to the faculty member who chairs that particular committee and said, I've talked to these people and they agree this is a good idea. And uh, so then that faculty member who chairs that committee sends me this panic email like, hey, are we making changes? And you did. I was like, no, that's no, I don't even I don't even remember what we talked about, but it, you know, it's likely that we had, I, I do remember a hallway conversation that, but you don't make policy in the hallways. That's not how it works. And that doesn't mean you don't, you can't listen to good ideas, but people don't, people need to remember that's not, we're not going to make, I'm not going to tell person B, I like this. You go tell person A to <laughs> that they're out and you're in, you know, that that's not how it, how it works, but people are still always fearful of that kind of thing happening. And I suppose it does sometimes, but not here and not with me. And if it ever did, I would want people to call me on it because that's not, that's not a good way. I kind of the mantra I, I use is that some presidents like to be the king or the queen. I'm not the king or the queen. I like to say I'm the quarterback, meaning that I'm part, you know, I'm in there with you and I'm willing to go into the, you know, and um, into the, into the, I don't say battle, but into the, into the, I don't want to say game, but you understand into the venue with, with, with people and, and, and be a part of it, not just declare things from on high. So having that kind of engaged conversation is important about decision-making. So all of that to say, I mean, um, it's about, it's the same stuff about using, using your authority wisely and, and respecting people. And that doesn't mean you don't have to make tough decisions because we make them all the time, but that, that means you just try to make them respectfully and uh, with, with as much sensitivity as, as, as you, as you can, as you need to have in, in a scenario, because what may not seem like a big deal to me might be a really big deal to someone who's sure. impacted by that decision. Again, doesn't mean you don't make the change or doesn't mean you don't make whatever decision you need to make. It just means that you have consideration in the process for how it will impact people and have conversations about that and try to um, head it off. I Sometimes my, I've got the best cabinet you can fathom. Um, it really is. A, it's a, a wonderful team. And I'm, I'm very grateful for my team. 
but they they jokingly uh, will wear these T-shirts that they, they actually had T-shirts made that say waiting on Hubner. And uh, because, you know, people want like, oh, you know, boom, 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 do this, this, this and this. And sometimes, all right, all right, we can do this, but you're going to have to we're going to do this first. Then we got to do this and then talk to this person. And then and then when that's all done, then we'll do this. And they're like, oh, come on. Why don't you just declare it? I'm like, because that's not what I, that's not how we're going to do it. Said so people will do what you want. Um, and when you do, when you, you know, because of your authority, uh, but then they'll only do what you want. <laughs> and then eventually they might even stop doing what you want. But, but it's a really, it really is about leading people. It's not about making decisions. It, it is about, you make lots of decisions, but it's about moving culture and moving people from, from, um, wherever they are to a, a better, a better place. And so, Power doesn't come from knowledge. Power doesn't come from information. Power comes from your ability to help make things better for the people around you. That's how I perceive it. So if we stay focused on our mission as an institution, and, uh, and, and it's easy, by the way, when you're at a community college, you're probably you know, at a university too, to be pulled a thousand different ways and to be engaged in events and activities that are not central to your mission. Um, uh, but but it's but it's 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 important and essential that you stay focused on that mission, whatever it is. So so yeah, you know, sensitive, good listener. I don't even know. Uh, you know, I I'm a numbers guy. Um, we we have what I think are pretty sophisticated um, metrics we use for uh, return on investment for you know programs. Sure. Uh, and and in and, and decision making and that helps us know you know how this enrollment is going to impact this bottom line sure. and, and everything sure. so we we use we try to use data in a pretty sophisticated way but like everyone else we have room for improvement you sure. know sure. Uh, and what well, well here's a question for you what yeah. do you think are going to be the major challenges and opportunities for community colleges over the next uh, five to ten years yeah so Oh, that's a good question. I, you know, I, and I wonder, and I've, I've wondered if the answer isn't, um, it depends. And the reason I say that, because we like probably most colleges, if you, do, if you didn't equip yourself uh, technologically to um, operate in, uh, in remote uh, scenarios <laughs> over the last two years, you haven't been, to, you know, yeah, I'm sure every college has done that. Um, all of our classrooms are now capable of, of and we had a, we had a, a very strong online program prior to the pandemic. So the pandemic didn't introduce us to online education. We've been doing that. Um, but like, so for example, <clears throat> when I think about challenges, um, there's some adaptability, no doubt, to uh, the needs people have for learning forms you know, whether it be online, face-to-face, -face, or, you know, hybrid, I think that will be a conversation. I'm not worried about our ability to modify in that way. I think, I think, I think from a cultural perspective, I try to tell my folks they can sit in my office if they wanted to and get a degree at virtually any college or university in the world. <laughs> so what the, the challenge for us is, that we have to figure out how to, uh, from a service perspective, be able to accommodate students 
in the ways the schools that have that are much better resourced than we are can because uh, because the student doesn't know I mean like it's just a you know you and I could probably both name large institutions that were built on the online format concept I mean they've got 24 7 they can do this they can do <laughs> that ain't gonna happen for us I mean we don't have those kinds of resources and so that's that's a challenge uh, in order to develop efficient systems that are efficient and human and personal. Uh, so that's a challenge. Uh, I think also just the adaptation to the work environment and the world in which we live. Uh, like, so for example, we still have a lot of programs that, um, and I, would, I always want to tell people, I, I have people say, why, so I guess you've all moved online now. No, 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 we haven't because you can't be a nurse in an online environment. You can't do, uh, you can't be a welder. You can't be a, you know, name any one of a number of professions that still require you to be present physically and to touch people and to <laughs> interact with others uh, and, and still require face to face. And so uh, there's that. I think a huge challenge is, and I'm not sure how to, well, I'll, I'll say it this way. Um, um, and, and I think every educator in America probably at some level talks about resources and funding. Um, that I think that becomes more and more of a challenge. Uh, the um, I know it is for us here. Um, for example, um, we have to find people to teach particular programs. Those people can go. In, into the, their profession and make two or three times what we can possibly pay. Um, we, lost, we lost an instructor uh, who is now making $100 an hour um, in his particular um, career technical field. Uh, <laughs> we can't compete with that. So you have to find people who are particularly, I'm going to use a religious word, but particularly called, who, who feel a passion for, uh, a desire to be a, a, a teacher and to, to be in that environment. And the smaller your community, the more difficult it is to find people who meet that criteria. So, uh, but yet, but yet uh, a college or university is no better than the people who are teaching in your courses. And so finding good teachers and good instructors or good professors is fundamentally important. And, and I think um, can become, is, is very difficult. And like I said, being, I mean, we're, I mean, our, our, we get, our budget is made up about 6% of our budget is made up out of local funding and about 33% of it is made of, well, I don't even know what the number is this year of this. We just, finished the legislative session. We haven't done the math yet, but it'll be somewhere between 30 and 33% is uh, state supported. Then the rest of it, we're on, you know, if you're doing the math, about 60%, we're on our own. Mm -hmm. And so that means to keep things affordable and accessible, uh, you know, you can offer things or you can't offer them. You know, you have to be very selective in how you spend your dollars. Um, so it's interesting. I was listening to a podcast and I wish I could tell you who, I don't remember. I listened to quite a few. Um, 
Ivy League institutions will spend approximately $100,000 per year on every student in terms of retention and support and, you know, all the things that go into educating that student. Community colleges spend about $8,000 a year. So think through this for a second. We're dealing with the students who are typically from lower socioeconomic classes. They're going to be uh, more challenged. They're going to have more challenges academically, though not always. Uh, but they're going to need greater support, but yet, so it's like a backwards economy. So the students with the greatest need get the fewest resources uh, and the students with the, the lesser need get the greatest, the greater resources. And so, and again, I understand that's how, <laughs> that's how a free market works. I get it. But, um, but, but that's a pretty powerful, you know, a pretty powerful indicator. Like, you will have greater success the more opportunities we can invest in you. And so we have to find ways to do that uh, differently. Uh, and, and if you're looking at what I can cover with tuition fees, room, or I'm sorry, tuition and fees, room and board, you know, state appropriations, local appropriations, it doesn't even equal $8,000 so, uh, per student. So it, it, those are those are those are huge challenges. They're not going away. We're have, we're looking for ways to be more, um, more focused. And also the other thing is we look, you know, the area of focus. I'm looking for ways to create programming here that will be destination programming in the workforce, uh, in the realm of workforce preparation. So. Uh, not giving away any trade secrets, but <laughs> developing. We're we're one of like for example, we're one of the uh, largest healthcare related pro uh, community college with the largest healthcare related programs, and we have seventeen healthcare related programs on campus. Uh, um, we're always going to be in the mix for the the largest nursing program in the state, public, private, two year or four year. Uh, we we uh, so in addition to the associate's degree in nursing, we have obviously LPN practical nursing program. And we have um, uh, everything from dental hygiene to dental assisting to um, medical lab tech, medical assist. I mean, you know, you can imagine all those programs. And, and, and so um, we, we kind of staked our claim in that particular ground. Uh, and one third of our students are in a healthcare related program. Uh, and so and I, actually that's not even true. One third of our students are in a nursing program. And so about, about one third are in what we would call career technical and about another third are in what you would call university transfer programming. Um, we have a, an honors program here that's uh, supported by um, a very wonderful foundation locally uh, that's endowed. And um, we have about 70 students in our honors program and are getting ready to invest even more resources in facilities and support for students who are leaving here and becoming mechanical engineers or, you know, yeah. um, study physics or things of that nature. So, yeah, so that it's that changing environment and trying to figure out how to keep things affordable, but also get your bills paid is, but I'm not sure that that's that different than what we've experienced in the past. It's just different within a unique in political environment. So, yeah. Well, here's, here's my last question. Um, you know, some academic leaders believe that students lost ground academically during the pandemic. 
Yes. So, so is there anything that can be done to resolve that problem? Oh boy. That's a great question. That's a great question. And it's a great conversation. And I don't, I, I think, I think there's no doubt um, there were, you know, ground was lost. Um, now I can tell you in my own community here um, that in a typical year, about 25% of the students who graduate from high school in my county, Lauderdale County and the city of Meridian, about 25% of them one year after high school graduation are not in college anywhere. From 20 to 21, the number moved from 25% to 40%. Wow. So think about that for a second. Now think about longitudinally, how that plays out over the next five or 10 years, if we can't get them back in school, if we can't get them here. I mean, that you talk about losing ground in my own community, in my own community, if you, if you just get a high school diploma and you go to work and, or if you just get a two-year diploma here at my college and go to work, you know, in other words, you don't go on to university, you will immediately double your salary having the two-year degree. Now, Think about how that impacts over the course of 10 years or 20 years or 30 years of, of 40 years of a person's work life. The impact on the uh, economy is staggering. The impact on that, that individual is staggering uh, just in terms of their, their financial uh, uh, mobility. Now think if the number of people in that scenario goes up by who don't go to college by 15%. I mean, I mean, there. I mean, there, 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 there are studies that show that if you come, if you get a two-year degree, you're less likely to um, uh, need certain kinds of federal support. There, you're less likely to uh, to go to to prison. You're less likely to, um, you know, um, deal with certain kinds of issues. You know, I, I. But now, all of a sudden, we're just adding. So that's going to be it's going to tax all those it's going to tax all those 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 you know resources and uh, or in some cases structures. So it's yeah. So what can be done about it? I I have to tell you I like when I look back at the last two years and I think to myself, we've had so many students just not go to school, and you think to yourself they've got to they're not working either. So you think to yourself, they've got to come back in some capacity to work or go to school because our employers, for example, are struggling to find people and well, they're not in school, <laughs> you know, so they're just not doing it. And that, and, and so, uh, and so, you know, some of us know typically that when you have, you know, a one-year change, if you have a, a substantial change in anything related to, to higher ed or admissions or anything, it usually takes two years to work itself out. So we'll see probably in a couple of years, but it's, it's a very, um, it's, 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 I'm trying, I'm trying to think of the word. It's, it's, we, we just don't, we can't wrap our heads around it yet. Uh, but I think for us, we're, we're doing some aggressive direct marketing. We're doing, uh, we're, 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 we're working with different kind. We're recruiting in a different way, our plan. And, and we're starting to plan to work, to recruit in a different way. Uh, that will be instead of 
assuming people will come to us, we got to figure out ways to go to where they are <laughs> and, uh, and then use, you know, relational recruiting differently. Uh, I'm, I'm getting on my high horse a lot. <laughs> you know, I'm talking about this topic in the community a lot more writing about it. Um, um, talking about the importance of, of, of continuing in school and, and uh, we'll, we'll know in another year or two yeah, <laughs> that's true. Worked. we'll know if it worked it's 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 really bizarre it really is yeah yeah well tom i really enjoyed our conversation i appreciate you spending thank your you. afternoon talking to me no i enjoyed it thank you for the opportunity i i'm always uh like i said i'm always excited to be able to uh just chat with with others in the profession yeah. in higher ed so appreciate okay. it yeah. Well, that wraps up today's episode. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for listening to today's episode and make sure to visit our website at academicdean.com for additional information. Also, if you enjoy our podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time.